Mystery Minnesota is an original fiction podcast from Adventures in Creativity Productions. Call it an anthology of strange stories, mysteries of a punishing land, and the people that call it home. And these stories impacted one man's life in a way he never anticipated. Believe them or don't. But remember, these stories are told in order, so make sure and start at the beginning. Don't worry, we'll be here whenever you catch up. Welcome to Mystery Minnesota. What do you do when faced with something so horrible, so violent, and so tragic? How can a guy even begin to pick up the pieces and put his life back together after something like that? Especially when something so awful scars you at such a young age. You know, nature, it's a cruel mistress, we all know that, but sometimes it feels like life is going out of its way to be a nasty mother f- um, Well, I'll keep this clean, but you get my point. Even worse, how can you be expected to put all of this behind you and find a way to live the rest of your life when no one believes that it actually happened? Everybody dismisses it as the mind working its magic to protect you from the pain, trying to convince you it was just an animal attack or something else completely logical because there is just no way that all of this was some invisible monster stalking the north woods of Minnesota, coming and going as if it was jumping between this place and, well, somewhere else. Things can't just vanish from reality. There aren't invisible monsters, and who knows why he smelled like peppermint. In the face of that denial from everyone he knew, how can a boy find a way through and live a prosperous life? They say where there's a will, there's a way, and Roger had nothing if not for a strength and conviction of character more solid than the hardest steel forged in the fires of hell. Well, when Roger came to a few minutes later, he found himself face down next to Jimmy. The ground torn up with deep gouges and claw marks, everything spattered in mud and blood. It's just so much blood. So much that the acrid tang of the blood, the heavy peppermint and the upturned mud and earth, well, it was just too much. Roger fought back the urge to puke crawled to his knees over to Jimmy. He was still alive. His breath was coming in ragged gasps, but he was alive. Roger didn't notice until he stood the piles of blood-soaked, matted black fur and hair that covered the ground. It was coarse and thick, and it was everywhere. Staggering as he stood, he could see what looked to be some sort of battle where he and Jimmy lay, but Other than the fur, some of which was still settling to the ground, the blood and any sign of the monster had vanished. No tracks. No blood leading off into the woods this time. It was just, just gone. But in that moment, he couldn't worry about that. He couldn't wonder at the blood caked on his hands and face 
at the bits of something under his nails. Jimmy needed his help and he needed it now. Jimmy was so badly injured the blood was flowing freely from all of those large gaping gashes across his body. But Roger lifted his lifeless form in his arms, cradled him like an infant as he staggered back to the house. He moved as fast as he dared, every step causing the blood to dump and pour everywhere. When he got about halfway home, he started screaming for his parents, covered in his brother's blood. His dad rushed out to meet him and lifted Jimmy out of Roger's arms and carried him to the house. His mom, in a panic, dialed 911 while his dad tried to stop the bleeding, but it was coming from everywhere. Jimmy never saw the ambulance never saw the fear in his parents' eyes and never saw the pain and regret and failure in Roger's. He opened his eyes just once as Roger knelt there near his head, begging him to fight, to hang on. Roger pleaded with Jimmy, telling him just hold on a few minutes more. The doctors would be there soon. But Roger and Jimmy shared just that one last look, and Jimmy, with his final breath, told Roger he was sorry. Told Roger he loved him, and that he was the best big brother anyone could have hoped for. And before he breathed his last, he told Roger thanks for fighting off the peppermint, for trying to save his life. and he told him it was okay. He'd see him again sometime. Then he closed his eyes and Roger became an only child. That brotherly bond that filled half of his heart is now a cold, empty pit of darkness and rage that left him feeling hollow and somehow incomplete. It was like Part of him had just been ripped away, and that part would never, ever be filled again. As he finished his story, the words trailing off into the dark chill of another winter night, I sat there stunned. I mean, I I knew Jimmy had died when they were young, but that, hell, There were no words. I didn't know what to say to Roger. Realizing I'd been holding my breath, I let out a huge sigh. And when I breathed in, I felt the heavy sadness and pain that Roger had lived with ever since. It flooded through me, like some sick oil leaching itself over every inch of my insides. Well, I guess that's not entirely true. I didn't feel the pain and sadness Roger had lived with ever since. What I felt was an echo of that pain, an echo that Roger so willingly shared with me. This wasn't the full razor sharp slicing pain that Roger dealt with every day, that there's no doubt he surely felt the rest of his life, but pain and sadness. It was that, and it was there in heaps. <sighs>
Thankfully, I didn't have to figure out what to say because Roger spoke first. You see, he told me that the hair in the box that Ben had given me with his note telling me to talk to Roger, well, it turns out this was some of that very same fur that Roger had found covering the ground that day. After the ambulance came and took him away, Roger didn't know what to do with himself. He, he couldn't face his parents. He felt like he had failed in the one job he had, and that being protecting his younger brother. So he went back out to that site, hoping to find whatever it was and make sure it was dead, make sure it never did this to anyone else. But he never found it. All he found was that fur everywhere, covering the ground in piles and mounds, getting soaked through with blood. So he put together a, a bunch of it, grabbed up everything he could that wasn't coated in blood, and he saved it. He didn't say how he knew Ben, but he told me he put some of it into a box to have Ben give to me said he had heard about my digging for this place called Mystery Minnesota and thought his story might help. Now, I certainly wasn't looking for monsters or stories of sadness and death or... Uh, I wasn't wanting anyone to rip open scars in pain like that. But Roger did it anyways. He did it because he wanted to help. And you see, Roger did give me something real interesting to think about. This monster, Peppermint as he now called it, it didn't live in the same world we did. He was convinced of that. He believed that very much like the legends of the Wendigo, Peppermint was stepping through weak spots between our world and some other place. You see, the Ojibwe here in northern Minnesota described the Wendigo as a spirit roaming the Northwoods, feasting on flesh. Some accounts say that it was once a human that, through magic, had been transformed into this giant, flesh-eating creature. There's even a, a real popular description that, that says that, uh, let me just quote this for you here, hold on, uh, here we go, uh, let's see, alright, uh, here's, here's how it's described, quote, it was a large creature, as tall as a tree, with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth, its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a Wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. End quote. That's some pretty heavy stuff and certainly sounds familiar, but I don't know. There's some other accounts that say that the Wendigo steps in and out of our world to feed before retreating back to the spirit world where it is doomed to wander and starve. Roger, he, 
He didn't believe that peppermint was indeed a wendigo. It was similar. He believed it was stepping from one place to another, but no. According to Roger, peppermint wasn't a wendigo. As we sat at the table watching the darkness threaten to overrun the yard lights in Roger's yard, he told me he believed this creature was similar to the Wendigo in the sense that it stepped between this world and our own. He also believed it came here to hunt and to feed because, for whatever reason, it wasn't capable of doing so in whatever place it had come from. And after years of thought and research and wrestling with trying to figure out what had killed Jimmy, he had decided that whatever and wherever the spirit world was, things there had mm, slightly different rules. And maybe, when one is in that world, everything is in a state of formless limbo. A solid, real place with no need for food or sleep or, well, anything except just drifting on for eternity. Maybe it's what people call heaven, then again, maybe just maybe it was hell. But according to Roger, if, if this creature was able to step in and out of this world, maybe this place I had been searching for, this mystery Minnesota, worked in the same way. Now up to that point, I, I didn't really know what mystery Minnesota was, or, or I, I didn't have an idea of even what I was looking for. But this, this bombshell, this trench of pain and sorrow and loss that Roger just brought me through, well, it was an introduction to an idea that I had never really even considered. One that seemed so totally far-fetched and impossible, but Roger was the type that was easy to put your trust in. He wasn't the type how would you put it? He wasn't the type to go off on wild fairy tale tangents. Roger was a man of his word. Like I said before, Roger was the type of man that when he spoke, people listened and they believed him and he made sure they understood that he was not messing around. And after hearing the story that made him into that cold, honest, stoic man he was today, well, I decided it was worth my time to listen. I had so many more questions. I wanted to find out more about his theories, but before I could ask more, he slammed a fist into the table, apologizing and telling me I had to go. As we stood, I followed his eyes out to the yard light by the barn, and there, under that pale orange glow, was what was left of one of his cows. What appeared to be a lot of blood was soaking the snow where it lay, and at the edge of the light, something seemed to shimmer for just a moment before it vanished. Before I could say a word, Roger was out the door. Gun in hand, he was headed down to the barn. Trying to follow, we made it about halfway to across the yard before he stopped and wheeled around on me. 
Those eyes, I'll never forget those eyes. They were like ice as they burned into me, staring for what felt like an eternity, sizing me up and then dismissing me. He shook his head no. Hadn't I been hearing what he just told me? About Jimmy's death, about the creature he called Peppermint. Didn't I smell it? I tried to protest, told him I could help, but I did smell the hint of peppermint in the air, and when he told me he would take care of this once and for all, told me to get in my car and go home, all I could do was obey. Those eyes had that commanding presence in full force, almost shining ice blue in the dark. Pulling into town, something just felt wrong. If this monster was back, this monster that had torn his brother apart all those years ago, I, I, I couldn't let Roger face it alone. I know he wanted revenge, but geez, that didn't mean I could sit by and watch him throw his life away to get it. I don't know why I did it, but I stopped at my brother's place. I told him what had happened in a rush, in a panic, and I told him I was going back up there. Obviously, with the possibility of an adventure like this, there was no way I was convincing him to stay behind. Thinking back, I, I suppose the only reason I stopped there was because I didn't want to face whatever was there alone. And after hearing Roger talk about losing his brother, I, I guess I, would, I just wanted at least one more adventure with him. On the way up, I filled him in on Jimmy's story and begged him to stay in the car until I came to get him. I didn't know how Roger would react to me showing up so soon after he told me, no, after he commanded me to leave, showing up with my brother in tow nonetheless, and I certainly didn't want to upset him, especially when he was hell-bent on revenge and carrying a gun. The lights were still on in the house, but no one answered the door. Looking to the barn, I could see the blood-smeared trail leading off to the darkness beyond the yard light and through the snow and into the nearby woods. Sometimes I'm so stupid, but... You know, I figured he must be down there somewhere, so I yelled for him. The wind was gusting, blowing snow swirling across the field. Enough that even at full effort, the shouts were grabbed and muted and carried away before it could travel more than a few feet. Shouting wasn't going to accomplish anything. Every now and then, a hint of that peppermint smell would drift on the breeze from somewhere. It was terrible. Such a small and innocent smell that, until now, would have been welcomed. But now it only brought a feeling of being stalked and hunted. I swallowed hard and pressed on through the snow towards the barn, shouting for Roger the whole time. But there was no answer. You know, thinking back, this is a moment where I really have to question what I was thinking. I mean, I've watched plenty of horror movies in my time yelled at the screen plenty of times as the main character did the stupid thing and went upstairs instead of escaping out the front door or hid down in the dark basement, but there I was, my own personal meme. 
My feet felt like lead as I trudged through the snow, but I came around the corner of the barn and could see Roger's tracks heading out to the woods and coming back, but around the barn there was just too many tracks. Day after day of chores kept the ground there pretty packed, but the barn door was swinging half open, Roger's shotgun propped in the corner, preventing it from closing all the way. Inside the barn was dark, just a few small bits of the yard light streaming through the slats on the old walls of that barn. Nothing seemed to be moving inside. So I stepped through the door and called for Roger again and again no response. In I went, stepped in fully, walking into the blackness all the way to the back of that small barn, calling for Roger the entire time and finding nothing, no response. He wasn't there in the barn. So where was he? The woodshed? Back inside the house? Did we somehow pass each other on opposite sides of the barn as I walked down there looking for him? But why wouldn't he have heard my shouting or even noticed my car? The woodshed. He must be there. It's the only logical choice. I remember feeling so confident in that as I stood there in the dark barn trying not to pee my pants out of fear. I made it about two steps towards the barn door when the smell of peppermint blazed to life inside that little barn. It wasn't drifting in from outside, it just appeared. In a split second, there was a soft, hissing sound, a shimmer in the light between the open barn door and my position, and that sickly, strong, thick smell of peppermint burned into my nose. I gagged. My eyes burned and watered as the fear crept up quickly, collecting in the back of my throat as I tried to blink the burn away. I fought back the vomit threatening to spew forth from my mouth, and. As I blinked those tears away, I thought I saw something move, something but nothing at the same time. That's when the searing cold ripped into my side, a finger of icy pain that reached straight into my hip and ribs. I felt my feet lift off the ground as I struggled for air, the claws ripping deep as the air was crushed from my lungs. The darkness was creeping in at the edges of my vision and the taste of blood was heavy in my mouth. I could hear the blood pouring and hitting the floor of that barn. I choked out one more scream, the blood curdling and gurgling in my throat. I screamed Roger's name as I saw him rush into the open door and grab his shotgun. The blast from the gun in that dark barn was like a thousand suns searing my eyes, but the grip that held me suddenly released and I fell to the ground. I could feel the blood pooling warmth under me, spreading thickly on the dirt-covered floor of the barn. I could feel the heat of my lifeblood pumping, spraying, and coating the dirt and straw. I could feel it bubbling from my lips as I tried to scream, choking me as I coughed large gobs of blood and who knows what else down my chin. 
The icy pain of those claws ripping me apart was gone, replaced only with a cold numbness everywhere. That was it. I was dying. I knew it in that moment. I saw Roger charge into the barn and heard that sound of pure evil and hatred, a snarling and growling, teeth and claws and heavy bodies thrashing all around me. It was just pure, evil, vicious hatred. Roger was there. I know he was. I saw him run at the beast as I crumpled to the ground, but whatever was fighting around me now was big and there was nothing human sounding about these beasts. As the darkness finally took me, I remembered seeing my brother in the light of the barn door. Something dark floating in the light, the smell of my own blood and that nauseating peppermint. And of course the icy numbness where something had dug deep into my body and ripped muscle, cracked bones, and let my gut spill to the floor. And then, it was only blackness. I woke up a few days later in the hospital, my brother there at my bedside. Seems I had a pretty rough go of things. I ended up needing emergency surgery to stop the bleeding from the animal attack. Well, that's what the doctor told me it was once I was awake enough to understand what they were telling me. They told me they figured it was some sort of mountain lion that attacked me in the barn, though they didn't find it anywhere after. I started to tell them no insisting it was no mountain lion, but a look from my brother urging me to stay quiet about what I really saw shut me up. So, a mountain lion it was, at least on my chart and in the books. The news headlines would read, Man Attacked by Mountain Lion in Roger Pitsy's Barn. Over the next few months of that winter, I was a resident in the luxury suites in our local hospital. My brother was the only visitor I had. He was there every day to check on me and try to lift my spirits. I had a lot of time to reflect on things, details my mind tried to gloss over to protect me, details etched deep into my mind forever. The feeling of power in those huge claws as they ripped and tore, digging into my body, lifting me off the ground. The way that smell seemed to appear out of nowhere, that slight hiss and shimmer and it was there that evil instrument of death, all bone and muscle, claws and teeth and peppermint. <sighs> right now I should be dead. I shouldn't be here to tell you this story, but Roger saved me. You see, my brother had heard the blast of the shotgun and come running, but by the time he got there, all he saw was me crumpled in a bloody heap on the floor, thick black fur or hair covering the ground and settling in the air everywhere. The shotgun near my shattered body on the ground, he said I was the one that had fired the gun at whatever had attacked me. He knew it was no mountain lion, and the amount of fur that covered the floor in that barn was more than any shotgun blast could ever take off an animal. Besides, this fur wasn't from a mountain lion, it was more like that of a, a bear, something along those lines. Either way, it wasn't of this place. But more importantly, Roger was nowhere to be found. But I had seen him, seen him in that doorway. I watched him fire at the monster that lifted me in the air. 
I watched him rush at that monster, dropping the gun as he ran. Not because he didn't need it. I watched him change. He, he grew and shimmered. It was like the rage and fury that had been buried inside him all these years made him uh, somehow swell with power. It was still Roger, only he was bigger, faster, and, well, wild with fury. And as the sounds of violent struggle between two great beasts rage around me, the clumps of fur and flesh being ripped and torn from peppermint left to fill the air and cover the ground, Roger, or whatever he had become, had a tight hold on the beast and they winked out of existence. That same soft hiss, same slight shimmer as I blacked out completely and they were gone. All that was left was my bloody body, ravaged and torn on the floor, lifeblood pouring out of me, and the piles of coarse black fur. My brother told me there was enough covering the ground to fill a few huge garbage bags, but no Roger. Where had he gone? What had he done? He saved me, I know that much is true, but how? I rubbed a hand over the newly forming scars along my hip, jaggedly arcing and meeting others along my chest and ribs, and stared out the window to the snow beyond. Roger was somewhere out there, I knew it, and I hoped he found his revenge for Jimmy. I hoped he found a measure of peace. And in that moment, I did the only thing I could think to do. I thanked him silently as I looked out over the snow-covered ground, the smell of peppermint clinging to the wounds, and I wondered if Roger had found a way to visit Mystery Minnesota. Mystery Minnesota is an Adventures in Creativity production written, produced, and performed by David Swiduck. You can find out more about the show and all of the others at AICpod.com. If you're enjoying what you hear, be sure to reach out to us on social media by following at AIC Stories on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or, of course, you can email us via the contact form on the site. If you want to support the show and help more people discover and uncover the mysteries we're exploring, you can leave us a review or, most importantly, share Mystery Minnesota with your friends. Look, no matter where you hang out, be it Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or Instagram, word of mouth is still the best thing you can do to help support life here in Mystery Minnesota. So don't be shy. Let people know what's up. Of course, we'd love it if you checked out all of the other storytelling fun happening with Adventures in Creativity Productions as well. So, while you're at AICpod.com, go ahead and explore all of the other content right there. You can get all of the great projects, like Faded Words and Adventures in Creativity, in one convenient place by subscribing to AIC Stories in the podcast app of your choice really is the best way to keep up with everything we have coming up for you on Adventures in Creativity Productions. But if you only want to follow the story of Mystery Minnesota, you can find us under Mystery Minnesota in your podcatcher or at anchor.fm slash mysteryminnesota. So get yourself all caught up and stick with us because there's more to the story here in Mystery Minnesota. <laughs>